Well, I think life can be defined as the search for satisfaction. Uh, pretty much everything that we do, we're trying to satisfy some part of who we are. And, and depending on, on where you're at in life, you, you, you probably constantly, you probably think about, am you, are you satisfied? It's a, it's a very simple question, right? Am I satisfied? Maybe you're sitting at your job that you really don't like, and you ask that question, am I satisfied with what I'm doing? Maybe you sit at your job that you really do like and you ask that question, right? Sometimes you're sitting at home and that question pops up, am I satisfied with where my life is? Maybe you sit in church during the sermon and you're like, am I satisfied? You know, hopefully that's not what you're asking, but, but right now, maybe. Am I satisfied? Well, there's lots of ways we can get satisfied, right? If we're talking about our thirst, uh, my question is, what satisfies your thirst? You know, what is the thing that you need to, uh, to just get that sense of, what is it? On a hot summer day, you've been working in the yard, you come inside, and what do you grab? Water. Some of you may be water. You know, after a long day of work, I get home, and you know what I would love to have every time, which I know is not good for me? An ice-cold Coke or soda pop, depending on who you are, right? All right. A Coke. Maybe, maybe, what is it that satisfies your thirst? Cherry Coke. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> what about your hunger? You know, what, what, when you are very hungry, is the one thing that you could go to over and over again and eat every day of the week? You know, if there's one thing that I could, could cook and eat every day of the week, it would be my mom's meatloaf. Unfortunately, my, my, I have lots of kids, and the meatloaf doesn't last usually, but that's one thing that, that I could probably cook and eat every single day. Uh, when I go on mission trips and I'm out of the country for a while, uh, the one thing that I want when I write when I get back into the States is Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Spicy chicken sandwich, no pickles, waffle fries, large cherry Coke. What satisfies your hunger? Maybe it's your mood, right? Maybe you're in a different mood for different things. Uh, the other day I was sitting watching a very important soccer game, and I thought to myself as I sat down and as kickoff was going, I want a big slice of pizza and wings. I didn't get wings, but I got, I got a big slice of pizza. What, what satisfies our hunger? How about this? At the end of the day, after a long day of work, what brings you satisfaction to close out your day? Are you the type of person that, that curls up on the couch with a blanket and a book and that is satisfaction for the end of a long day? Is it talking to your spouse? For me, I, I do a lot of thinking. I, I, I write sermons and I write lessons and I, I think a lot. And so for me, the thing that brings satisfaction is coming home, sitting down away from everybody for five minutes and just blanking out. Watching the Cardinals brings, I guess if you have rally cats, you know, you, you probably have some satisfaction over the last eight, eight days. What is it? What about this? What brings satisfaction to your soul? That's a harder one, I think. And I think it's the question that the Galatians were asking themselves. And I think the reason why Paul writes 
to the Galatians is because he's seeking to tell them that the way that they're finding, trying to find satisfaction in God and satisfaction for their soul, they're missing the point. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open up to Galatians chapter 4 today. Uh, we're going to be reading just, just four short verses, uh, starting in, in verse 8. Uh, and, it, it, and in these verses, I think we have uh, a turning point in Paul's arguments. Right, every, everything from here on out is going to focus on these uh, four verses. And so here's what it says. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who are by nature not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. These, uh, these four verses, they come after Paul's argument throughout uh, chapter 3 and the first seven verses of chapter 4, where Paul has been arguing about the identity of, the, of these uh, Christians. All right, the Galatians, they... Uh, for the most part, were Gentiles, and, and here they were trying to uh, be the sons of Abraham. And they thought that the way that they were the sons of Abraham was by obeying the law of Moses. So they thought that they had to give up their heritage to follow after the heritage of another group of people. And throughout chapter 3 and that we read last week and, and through the first seven chapters verses of chapter 4, Paul's been arguing with them saying, no, it's not... Uh, what you do that uh, makes you a son of Abraham, it's rather what you believe. Are you living by faith? If you live by faith, then you are the sons and daughters of God. You are the children of Abraham. I, I like what verse 7 says there, and we sang it today. You are no longer slaves, but now you are a children of God. And so that, that's their identity. And, and in these verses, he kind of shifts focus from saying, this is who you are, to looking at your past. And he says, for just a moment, let's, let's look at how you used to live. And in verse 8 here of Galatians, he says that their past was defined by slavery. You once were enslaved to the things that are not God. So for the Galatians, this is real easy. They can look at their religion that they used to follow, and they could see that they were following things that were not God. I, we, we look at, at, their, at what they follow, and most of us know a little bit about the Greek religion, right? We call it Greek mythology. Maybe we were in high school, we read some stories, maybe we remember them. Maybe we remember names like Zeus and Poseidon and Hercules and Achilles and and echo, and maybe we remember the stories that were told about them. That's, that, that, for them, that wasn't just stories. That was their religion. And every one of their cities would have had a patron god, a god that they worshipped, although they did honor all the gods, but maybe their, their particular town worshipped one certain god. All right, and so this is where they're coming from, is, is this pagan religion, all right, this way of living that the Greeks uh, lived like. On top of that, there was another type of religion that was just starting to form, and it was uh, all about worship of the emperor. 
See, the Roman Empire hadn't been around for very long. The, the position of emperor had only been about 100 years when a guy named Julius Caesar said, I'm emperor now, uh, and so on and so forth. And we know that name, and we know uh, Augustus and some of the other ones. All right, but, but in a relatively short amount of time, people started to look at the emperor not just as another man, but as a god himself. And they started to worship him, which is a really interesting development in history that they had, they had gotten in this in their mind. Uh, within the Roman colonies especially, uh, this was a problem. And in the region of Galatia, there was a number of Roman colonies. In fact, uh, when Galatians is written, there was two cities that actually changed their names. Uh, one of the cities was Iconium, the other was Derby, And they changed their names to Claudia Iconium and Claudio Derby. And the emperor at the time was named Claudius. So we get where they changed their names from. From Claudius, they started to name their cities. And, and it was just all a part of this culmination of worshiping the emperor as a god himself. And so these Galatians, when Paul brings up their past, it's still very much in front of them. Because while they are Christians and while they are following God, their family and their friends, they're, they're probably not. They're probably looking around and, 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 and seeing their family go off to worship at the temple or go off to worship the emperor, and they're sitting here like, man, that's, we're, we're not there anymore. And so they had this constant reminder of what their past was. And so my question is for us, what, do we have a constant reminder like that of our past? I'm not saying that it's good to constantly have that in front of them. For the, for the Galatians, it was probably very bad and caused them to do some of the things that they were doing. But in our past, we have to recognize every once in a while where we come from. See, our past, maybe we were considered a good person, right? Maybe we didn't really do anything that society thought was bad. But maybe our past is worse than that. Maybe when we look at our past, we probably could honestly consider ourselves a bad person. Maybe we lied, maybe we cheated, maybe we stilled or, or did all kinds of other darker things. But whatever it is, no matter who you are, no matter how saintly you are now, you have a past. And that past is defined by slavery. And the slavery that you were enslaved to just depends on who you were. We all have vices. We all had things that we uh, were controlled by. We all had sins that we went to. What I went to may not be the same thing that you went to, but we all have that. And no matter what sin it was, we were encapsulated by it. It held us in bondage. And the reason it held us in bondage is because that is the power of sin. It's interesting to watch how one little sin seems to be like a, a, a hook for a fish to bite. And it sinks into us, and it gets into us deep, and we just start to get into this place where we just find ourselves drowning in our sins, unable to do anything to get out of them. But thanks be to God that while we were drowning in our sins, he sent Jesus to get us out of our sins, to rescue us, to redeem us from them. And that's what Paul says here in, in verse 8, in verse 9. He says, Formerly, your life was defined by slavery to your sins, but now you are free. There is freedom. 
And where once the Galatians were defined by being enslaved to those that things that were not God's, now their lives are defined by freedom. Their life looks different. And that's the biggest thing. For the Galatians, uh, the entire society that they lived in was regulated by the worship of their gods and the worship of the emperor. All right, everything within a month, there was a number of different festivals that they would have gone to to celebrate these gods and to celebrate the emperor. And, it, and, and everything that they did was, the, it was a heartbeat of worship for their gods. Everything focused around that, but now that they're out of that, they're not regulated like these people are. Right, they're not controlled by the sins of false worship. They are been set free. Now here's the question. Which is easier? To be different than everybody else or to conform? It is way more difficult to be different than everybody else, especially in a society like the Galatians are living in where everyone is doing this, where everyone is expected to worship the gods and everyone is expected to worship the emperor. And so to stand apart from that, it would have been hard. No matter who we are, where we're at in society, we don't want to be the oddball. You know, we might differentiate ourselves here and there, but we still want to have friends. We still want to to not stand out from everybody else. All right, and so that's That's just who we are as human beings. And so here the Galatian Christians are standing apart from their families, their friends, and their neighbors, and they look different. But this difference that they have, it's defined by freedom. In the same way we are defined by freedom, where once we were enslaved to our sins, where once we were, were controlled by this necessity to find satisfaction in these various vices that we have, now we have freedom. Now we have the power of God dwelling inside of us, holding us accountable and telling us we have the power to resist. And sometimes it takes the power of God to resist. Some of us were so encapsulated by our sins that it was a struggle to get freed from them. And the only way we were able to was because God indwelled us. We came to Christ and we said, come. And we came to Christ and we accepted him as Savior. And we were baptized and united into him. And the power of God that was inside us allowed us to break free from those sins. Our life is one of free. And, and we can sing these words, right? No longer am I a slave, but I am a child of God. A couple of interesting things, and, and really it's just one phrase in the verse of chapter 9 that's very interesting, that has different nuances, is this idea of knowing God, or rather, Paul says, being known by God. This, this idea of being known by God, it's very important in the Bible. It's repeated over and over and over again. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 1, uh, David says, Search me, O God, and know me. All right, this, this idea of being known by God, David says, I want this. 
right? The God of the universe. If you read the rest of 139, it's about God creating everything and creating us. And, and this almighty God who's made everything takes time to look at me as an individual and to know me better than I know myself. How awesome and amazing is that idea that God takes the time to know each and every one of us. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 3, Paul writes that whoever loves God is known by God. And by the time we get to this New Testament, with this understanding of being known by God is the understanding that we are in Christ, all right, that we are saved. If we are known by God, then we are a part of his sheep. We are the ones that will be in heaven. We are the ones that God laid down his life for. And so this idea of being known by God, it, it's, it's very important because we want to be known by him. And Paul says in, in Galatians here that we know God or rather he knows us. And that is, that is of utmost importance. In fact, not being known by God is bad. Right? Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty three, speaking to uh, the evildoers who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And Jesus says, uh, I tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. So, so if we're in this question of, of whether we want to be known by God or not known by God, which is the answer? We want to be known by God. We want to say what David says, search me, O God, and know who I am. This idea of being known by God is, is, is also interesting because it's not that we know God, but rather that he has taken the time to know us. Our God has initiated the process of salvation. It is God who gave the law to man so that they may know what sin is and may know what God wants them to do. It is God who gave the promises to Abraham, said, in you all the world will be blessed. It's God who says that I am giving you a seed, that if they are in the seed, they will go to heaven. It is God who sent Jesus to die the death that we deserved in our sins. It's nothing that we have done. We accept the invitation, but it's God who takes the time to know us. There is no amount of searching that we can do in order to find God. God is the one that searches for us. There's no amount of work that we can do in order to get closer to God because God has done all the work necessary for that. There's no amount of knowledge of God that we can obtain. God is the one that knows us. It's not us that do it, but God wholly does everything to provide salvation. And I think that's reflected in what Paul says here. It's not that we know him, but that he has taken the time to know us. So where once we were slaves, and now we are free, Paul comes to this ultimate question at the end of verse 9 and into verse 10, when he says, why would you ever go back? If you've tasted slavery, and you've tasted freedom, why would you want to go back there? For the Galatians, I think this is an easy answer. I think the Galatians, they, were, they had learned throughout their entire lives that the way that you draw closer to the gods is by having a rhythm of different things that you do. Feasts that you go to. Uh, 
holy days that you take part in. And when we get to Christianity, we see that we really don't have any of those. Yes, we have Sunday worship, but beyond that, we don't really have feast days, do we? Right, we, we, we might celebrate Christmas, we might celebrate Easter, maybe we have a feast on those days with our families, our, our, our close family, but we don't really do anything. And for the early Christians, that's how it was. And so here they were taught their entire lives that you, you do this, that, and, and whatever in order to draw closer to God. And now they've been set free from all of those things that didn't actually bring satisfaction in their lives. And they're left wondering, well, how do I get closer to God? And so their answer when the Jews came in and said, well, if you really want to be a good Christian, then you need to do this, this, and this. Just follow the Jewish law. I can see why it was so easy for them to come to it. Why it was so easy for them to fall back into their habit. It was like riding a bike, right? Even if it had been years since they had ridden a bike, it was second nature to them. See, Judaism provided the exact same problem. It was a, another trap, another enslavement to all these things, these checklists of what you were expected to do. But in Christ, we don't have a checklist. In Christ, we live by faith and we follow him and we are in Christ if we're united to him. So all these things over here that enslave us, they are no longer a part of who we are. And Paul says, you have been set free, and it's a life transformation that matters. It's not about doing these things. It's about, are you growing more and more into the image of the Son? And that's a really tough question to answer. And I think it's a question that we can't skip over. Am I drawing more and more and becoming more and more like Christ? And if we were to take a moment and just examine ourselves and ask that question, what is our answer? If I look to my past and I look at my presence, am I the same person? Am I a worse person? Am I more like Jesus? And if we answer the question as we are worse than what we were, that's not good. That's not transformation into the image of the Son. If we look at it and we say, you know what, I'm about the same. That's not good either. We are to be more and more like Jesus. And if we are the exact same as we were when we first knew Jesus, there's an issue. We are to draw and be more and more like Jesus. To be conformed into his image. But why do we constantly come back to this stuff? Why have we been set free? Why do we run to this? And I think the answer is habit. For our lives before Jesus, this is what we found satisfaction in, or at least tried to. This was the stuff that we did to just escape for a moment. And when we've been set free, we, we think initially that our life is automatically going to get better, but it's not. Jesus never promises that being in him, life is going to be easy. I mean, being in Christ means that you look like Jesus. And what did they do to Jesus? Oh, yeah, they hung him on a cross. And if you look like Jesus, then we shouldn't be surprised when bad things happen to us. If we look like Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when life gets difficult because it was difficult for Jesus. 
And so when we're in Christ and things get tough, why is it that we start automatically run over here and embrace sin again? The problem with embracing sin is that while it may give us a momentary moment of satisfaction, it doesn't last. Aldi has these uh, vegetable straws. Maybe you've bought them, maybe you haven't. All right, they're like these uh, healthy chip, if you will. But for me, it tastes like styrofoam. Okay, My kids love it. I, I can't stand it. I, I can imagine eating this bag of vegetable straws and being hungry five minutes later. Okay, That is what sin is. When we run to sin and we try to find satisfaction, we might find it for a moment, but it doesn't last. It leaves us empty. It doesn't bring the satisfaction that we are seeking. The only thing that brings satisfaction is freedom. Freedom found in Christ brings better satisfaction than anything this world can provide. And when life gets rough, we need to run to Jesus. Jesus said it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says when life is hard, don't try to be enslaved again. When life is hard, come to me. And the satisfaction that we're looking for, Jesus says that he has it. I can give you rest for your soul. When life is rough, let's not seek the things that caused us to be enslaved in the first place. Rather, let's seek freedom in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we're grateful that we have a Savior who has died for our, our sins, who has redeemed us, who's broken the chains of slavery. And I pray, God, that in our lives that we will run to you when life gets hard. That we will not seek the things that bring momentary satisfaction but leave us empty, but rather we'll find the true thing that we need, rest for our souls. I pray, God, that we will seek you out before we seek anything else out. Help us, Father, to, to remember that you provide the freedom and the rest. And help us run to you. In your son's name I pray. Amen.